Well, it is good to be back with you again this morning, and this is a barbecue Sunday. I had thought about maybe preaching on the fatted calf and decided that wouldn't be the best thing to preach on. <laughs> but I do, want to, uh, I do want to share with you uh, from Philippians chapter 3, um, this passage that I'm going to share with you this morning is really my life passage. Um, as some of you know and have heard my testimony, I didn't come to faith in Christ till I was 27 years old. Um, and uh, there was a dramatic change in my life at that point after I'd been serving in the Navy for eight years. And much of my coming to faith in Christ was the result of uh, my wife's family praying for me. After I married her, the prayer intensified um, for my salvation. Uh, the first time I walked into the Baptist church down there, I walked out and swore I'd never walk into another one. Uh, I just, you know, it was just one of those things. But they persisted in prayer. And God, in his sovereignty and grace, uh, really through the birth of our first daughter, uh, touched my heart, drew me to himself, and I surrendered my life to Christ in December of 1978. But I had a past, and I had a past that, um, that is, was not a good past. It wasn't, you know, anything um, that I should have really been thrown in jail for, but it was not a good past. And I had to overcome some things as I began to grow in Christ uh, as a new believer and understand some things. And then uh, about three years later, God really drew me to surrender my life to uh, become a, a preacher of the gospel. And he and I wrestled with that for about three years, uh, not three years, three months. <laughs> it had been a long three years. And God won, obviously. But I had to come to the point where I had to realize that the things of my past could not determine the things of my future. And that though I did not feel that I was uh, worthy of doing that or even qualified for it educationally or in any other way, uh, God proved me wrong over the years and has allowed me to be a, become a pastor and a preacher um, since 1984. So uh, there's some principles in here that are very uh, close to my heart, but I think there's principles in this passage that really can help prepare uh, individuals and the church for a new season in their life. And that's where Hoffmantown is at. Uh, you've been on a long journey from the time this church was birthed. And through those years, there have been uh, great victories and successes. There's been challenges. There's been failures. There's been hurts and pains, struggles. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened. And as you begin a new journey in Christ under a new pastor, a new leadership, a new direction, um, God wants us to be ready for that. And so what I want to do basically this morning is I'm going to give you five principles that I think are important for us uh, to implement and to know and to apply as you move forward as a body of Christ, as we move forward as individuals, so that we can be best prepared to follow a pastor and his leadership and where God wants to move this church. I am so thrilled with the affirmation that God showed last Sunday as you affirmed the work of your search team, your 
um, uh, the team of revelation, or I forget what you called it, but the, the reveal, the big reveal, that's what it was. And uh, they did it without fireworks and stuff, but the Holy Spirit did move with fireworks in our hearts and absolutely confirmed and affirmed what his will was in this. So if you will, uh, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. I'm only going to share a couple of verses here um, from this. I think we'll begin in verse 12. And uh, then I'll give you some background to the passage, a little bit of background to the Apostle Paul, and then these five principles that I pray uh, will touch your heart and help us individually and as a body move forward. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is an exciting time. This was an exciting time in Paul's life as he wrote a love letter to the church at Philippi. This is one of those letters that Paul really pours his heart into. He loved them. He cared about them. He encouraged them. They weren't dealing with many of the issues the other churches were dealing with. And Paul shares some of his life experience with this. And so I want us to be prepared as we move forward based on some of the things that Paul experienced. Some of the things you've experienced and have been out of your control in your past. There's some things you didn't have anything to do with, but they impacted your life. There are some things that were brought about by someone else or something else took place that could have brought problems or successes in your life individually or even as a church. We need to understand that what determines our present and future is not dependent upon what happens in our past. And that's a very important thing for us to remember. We cannot let the past determine how we respond to, how we react to, or how we move forward for the future. That's a great life lesson just in and of itself because too often we get caught up in things of the past and we fail to see what God wants to do in the future. The Apostle Paul is truly an example of this uh, and God's sovereignty in his life and God's grace. Uh, of all people mentioned in the New Testament early on, he would have seemed to be the last person to end up being a preacher of the gospel. He was a persecutor of the church. But God intervened in his life and changed his heart and moved him forward to become a great gospel preacher and a writer of many of the letters in the New Testament. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes this, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now we first run into Saul, then the Pharisee, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, when he's mentioned standing while they were stoning Stephen. Stephen had preached this tremendous message, a gospel message, and they did not receive it well. 
In fact, it infuriated them. It fired them up. And they, in response, took him out and were going to stone him. And they did. Paul was there, uh, Saul of Tarsus at that point. And they laid their coats at his feet. And he encouraged us. He, he was part of this, not throwing the stones, but he was certainly in agreement with what was going on. Then we find that it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and, Paul, and Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. The result was that a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, which scattered everyone except the apostles. And in verse 3 of chapter 8, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. You see, when they began to try and kill the church, the church spread. In fact, it was one of those great things that God did. Instead of isolating it and, and tearing it down, he spread it out into all the other areas of the nations. But Saul was there, and he approved of it. And then he went to put those who were Christ followers in prison, men, women, children. That was his mission. That was his his duty to do that, and it was approved by the Sanhedrin. Paul had a passion to destroy what he thought was against God. He wanted to totally wipe out any reference to the Messiah, any reference to the crucifixion, any reference to anything else that was related to that, the resurrection of Christ, and anyone who believed in that. He made it his life mission to go out and destroy it and to tear it down and to get it completely wiped out that was his mission that was his pur purpose but then something happened as passionate as he was about that about wiping out the church God had a different plan for him and God had a different plan for us as well let me give you this first principle as passionate as Paul was about what he was doing his passion was totally misdirected. What he did, he thought he was doing for God. He thought he was honoring God by trying to take out all the Christians, all the Christ followers, all the reference to Jesus Christ. But this first principle, let me direct you to it. God will redirect your passion to accomplish his purpose and plan in you and through you for his glory. Paul needed to be redirected. As passionate as he was, as loyal as he was, as perfect as he thought he was, as self-righteous as he considered himself to be, way above everyone else, all that passion, all that energy was going the wrong direction. In fact, it was going in total opposition to what God desired for the church and for Christ and even for Saul. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus intervened in Paul's life and he met him on the Damascus road and he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus then caused him to become blind. And he sent him into Damascus where he would meet a man named Ananias. Who Jesus had prepared to share what Jesus wanted for Saul. Saul of Tarsus was now known as Paul. His passion was to serve God. It was to be transformed completely everything that he had done to redirect it to do what God wanted done. And we see his redirection and his passion a little bit later here in Philippians. 
In fact, in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3, if you'll notice what Paul says, and this is a tremendous testimony of the transformation power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostle Paul. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them as garbage, as dung, the King James Version says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Notice that Paul states, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. A complete transformation in his heart, a complete transformation in the direction of his passions, a complete transformation in what he needed to do in response to a loving God through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ intervening in his life and calling him to become the missionary, the gospel preacher, the, the one who went to the Gentiles. God did a tremendous work in him. And Paul's passion, as great as it was, as great the intent was that he had, was misdirected until Jesus intervened, intervened in his life. Listen, a lot of people, and many even in the church today, have great intentions. They have a great passion about some things. But those passions and those intentions are not always in alignment with the will and the purpose of God. And we have to understand that, that we need to discover God's will and his purpose. What he wants to do in us and through us as a people, as a body of believers, to go out into the world to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us and not what we might want. How much do you value Christ in your life? If you were to take and draw a triangle, an inverted triangle, and you began to list all the things at the top that were of least important to you, which would probably be a very long list, and you started narrowing that down to things that were a little more important and a little more important and a little more important until you got to that last thing, what is that? Would it be Jesus Christ? Because for Paul, all the things that he had in his life, all his attainments, all his recognitions, all his knowledge, all his service would have been in that triangle until he met Jesus. And now all of that was secondary to the importance of Jesus Christ being the most valuable thing in his life. That's what took place for the Apostle Paul. Here's the second principle. The value you place on your relationship with Jesus Christ will determine the life you live for him and the service you give to him. That's an important principle. Because a lot of times we talk about living as a Christ follower. We talk about serving God and what we want to do. And we have good intentions. And we may even be passionate about things. But if Jesus Christ isn't the most valuable thing in your life, then it's going to be secondary in how you serve him and how you live for him. 
That's a very important principle to remember, and it's one that we need to grasp onto and hold onto, and it's a very deep question. God, as I look into my life, as you look into my heart, are you the most valuable thing in my life? Are you the most important? Are you the priority over everything else in how I live my life, how I serve you, how I function as a Christ follower, where my passions are directed? That's a a good question to ask. The good news is, is when we ask that question and God reveals to us that, you know, as passionate as you are about some things, Jesus still is not the most important thing. And then we can confess that. And we can ask God to forgive us and to renew us and transform us and restore us and help us get on the right path to follow Jesus. He needs to be number one in our life. It's not about us. It's about him. And as we understand the value that he has in our life, everything else will begin to follow that, and we will prioritize around it. We will make him the most valuable thing and the things that he wants in us and through us and for us valuable. How we reach out and minister to others, how we evangelize in our community, how we look and help with compassion those who are hurting, those who are struggling in life. If Jesus is the priority and this is what Jesus would do, if he's the most valuable thing, then we should embrace that and be a part of that and our hearts should be directed toward that, toward that. Paul said, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So what is more valuable to you? Here's the third principle. Live with a true perspective of your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. Again, we're asking an evaluation kind of a question of ourselves. Lord, is my perspective, my perception of how I'm living for you and how I serve you and how I grow in you and mature in you, is it a real thing? Is it true to who I value as Jesus Christ in my life? We have to ask those questions sometimes because it's so easy to get sidetracked with other things. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a hearty, hearty, haughty spirit uh, before a fall. The Apostle Paul had great pride in where he had been and what he had done and how he was recognized. He thought he was just the best of the best and nobody was better than him. Nobody could do uh, fulfilling the law better than he did. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee or the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Man, he was all in all in his own heart until he met Jesus. And then everything got turned upside down. And Paul revealed and understood that that he really wasn't anything in light of who Jesus Christ was. He could have claimed he had made it spiritually. He could have had that perspective that that he had prior to Christ. But pride would not be allowed to take over his life and destroy his future. Paul had a right perspective in understanding that his personal walk with Jesus Christ was something that he was seeking to improve. He said, I don't consider myself 
to have taken hold of it yet. He's still striving that way. Listen, we never get to that point where we, we are going to, to be 100% where we need to be in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing thing. We are saved by faith through grace. Uh, that's the gift of God, not of works, at least any man should boast. Uh, but it's an ongoing process of discipleship. It's an ongoing process of learning and developing and, and serving and surrendering and being obedient to the Lord. It's something that we strive for, and, and we, we know we'll never get there till we get into the kingdom, but we need to be striving for it and understand that we have not yet arrived. And I think that there are times that we get so caught up in some things that are churchy that we think, man, we're doing great. Man, we're doing everything we should be doing. We've arrived. We don't have to do a whole lot more than what we're doing. But that would be a misunderstanding of what God wants to do in your life. He has greater things for you. He has more important things for you. He wants to move you beyond your comfort zone. And he wants to move you out where you will be challenged in your faith. He wants to move you out where your walk can impact the lives of those around you. He wants to get you out there where you have to depend upon him and not live in the comfort of your small group or your Bible study or your fellowship group. Listen, the ministry, though it's interior in the church, it's inside the church to care for one another, love one another, serve one another. There's that other part of it, which is out in the trenches. It's out in the community. We have not arrived but we should be striving for that. Paul said, listen, I consider myself not yet to have taken hold. That word consider means to, to, uh, uh, to carefully study, to reason with. And the result in the arriving at the conclusion is that it conveys the idea or it, he understands that this is the right thing to do. This is the thing you must do. After calculating and estimating all the things that that involves, Paul had, after much deliberation and consideration, arrived at what he stated in verse 12 when he says, I have taken hold of it. It means to take eagerly, to seize upon it, to possess or to attain it. Paul strove to live his life for Christ, who was the most valuable person, a high level of value in his life that drove everything he did. He considered it. He had taken hold of it which led to the fourth principle here. The fourth principle is this. Live with a single-minded focus toward Jesus Christ. You know, we can have an understanding of who Jesus is, our relationship with him. We can have our heart's desire. We can have our passion. But the thing that has to be there as well is how we respond to what God wants us to do. Because we can talk about a lot of things, we can support a lot of things, but if we are not responding with action, if we are not doing the work of ministry, if we are not intentionally getting involved in the lives of others and those within the church, if we don't have that single-minded focus where Jesus Christ is the one that's leading and we're walking with him, following him, then we're kind of missing the boat. It's very important that we understand that we need to be following him. And Paul says, listen, it's one thing I do. Literally, without the verb, the phrase is really more impressive. It just means but one thing. 
One thing I do. Now, Paul was a tent maker. He was involved in other things. He traveled. He mission, did his missions work. But the one thing that he did was being in alignment to the call and the mission and the purpose of Jesus Christ. It, again, it drove everything. When we think about it, when the body of Christ has Jesus Christ at that high level of value, the most important thing, when everybody is looking toward the cross and they're not looking at what everybody else is doing and what's going on around them, there's a unity there that is empowering that God uses then to impact not only the body of Christ and strengthening it, but the impact of Christ in the community around it. A very important thing to understand. Someone asked me one time, how many bowling balls can you roll uphill at a time? It's never been a question I've been asked before. Um, I used to bowl, but it was on a flat surface. And, you know, it just went one direction. And it rolled. Once you got it started, it did pretty good. But think about it. How many things are you trying to balance in your life that are taking you away from the most important thing, which is Jesus Christ? You can't roll bowling balls uphill, uh, maybe two, maybe three, if you're fast and strong. Uh, you might be able to do some of that. Uh, but listen, the only ball that you should have your hand on is, is Jesus Christ. <laughs> you need to be following him and letting him take care of everything else in your life and reprioritize everything. You just can't do a lot of other things at the sacrifice of serving Christ. Uh, again, it's an important thing that we need to understand and apply. The Apostle Paul is not leaving things behind. He is forgetting the things behind, not merely looking forward. He's reaching forward to the things that are ahead. Not only does he run, he presses toward the mark. Nor was he occupied or weakened or delayed by a variety of pursuits. One thing he did. Someone said this, they said, Paul was focused on one thing and would not let those things which are behind distract him from it. The one thing was the prize for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that which you strive for and which you are seeking in your life? Are you seeking for the prize, running the race, straining toward the end? Or are you just kind of in the mix, running along, kind of haphazardly and not really putting all your effort into it. Here's the fifth principle. You can never move toward the future when your heart is focused on the past. This is probably the, the biggest challenge that I had uh, as a believer and then as being called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, all my past, all the things that I had done prior to coming to Christ, uh, I was using as an excuse, saying, God, why would you use me after what my life was like? Why would you use me now? Why would you want me to do this, to preach your word? And, and that's where this great struggle was. Can you imagine if Paul had done this? Well, Lord, you know that I was persecuting your church. I was throwing men and women in the jail. I was there when they stoned Stephen and took his life. I was approving of that. Uh, I was so prideful. How in the world could you possibly want to use me to go out and proclaim the gospel and be a missionary? If Paul had got hung up on that, we wouldn't have the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. We would not have had the spread of the gospel message that we have through his efforts and through his calling earlier on in his life. You see, Paul didn't let the past 
hinder where he needed to go in the future. He had to put it behind him. He had to forget it. And that term means completely forgetting. And sometimes I think in our lives as believers, we're letting things of the past determine our future and where we're going, whether it's individuals and even as a church. Uh, you can talk to churches all around, and uh, sometimes you'll hear things like, well, I remember back in 1980, we had our highest attendance. Man, this church was packed 30 years ago, and uh, just emphasize that, and they haven't done anything since, but that's where they were 30 years ago, and they're holding on to that as some great victory. Folks, that's in the past. You can't hold on to the good things and you can't hold on to the bad things. You have to take what God has done and what you've been through and the circumstances, the ups and downs, the victories and the challenges. And you say that was where we were. We've learned from that. But this is where we're at. And this is where we're going. Because God is going to begin a new season in your life. And you're going to have new experiences and new victories and new challenges. But God is going to be there to direct. And if the body of believers that are here in this church are able to be forgiving toward others who have hurt them, if they're able to put away the past issues that have been problems within the church, if they're able to say, God, you've given us a new leader, we're ready to move forward. If the body of Christ comes together and has that mindset and that commitment, God will do tremendous things through this church. And I absolutely believe that right now, this body of believers is just anticipating and excited and ready for God to work in some new and wonderful ways. And, and that's what we pray for. We want God to do that. But we have to put away the past. We have to forget it. We have to let it go and release it. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Listen, if God forgives our sin, why in the world would we hold on to it? If he's forgiven it, we've got to let it go. We have to move forward, not let that become a burden around our neck. It's kind of like Marley carrying around the chains of his past into his death. How many chains are you carrying around that God has already forgiven because you've asked forgiveness, that God has said, why in the world would you let all that junk hang on and keep you from serving me or moving forward or building the body of believers that we need to build? Paul is saying, in, in essence, don't look back. When the runners are running the race, they're not looking back at those behind them or they'll lose the race. When a runner's running a race, they have one goal to get, one purpose, to get to the goal line and not worry whether they stumbled early on, whether they started on time with the rest or anything else. One goal, they're focused on that one goal. It's a picture of one who is racing and the agony of the struggle and the hope of winning the race. And you can sense that he's seeing the goal line and he's pressing forward and he's stretching out, trying to get across that goal line before anyone else. That's the idea of here where Paul says, I press on, I press on, I'm running the race to win the prize for the high call of God in Christ Jesus. So basically Paul has made three powerful statements. One, he hasn't arrived, which means he's continuing to move forward. He's continuing to learn, continuing to grow, continuing to be obedient to the Lord. Secondly, he's had that one focus in that, 
in that uh, direction of continually growing and serving God and growing in Christ. Uh, he has a focus to stay in alignment with Jesus Christ. And third, he forgets what has happened in the past so that he can strive and move forward in the future. So here's three things I want to challenge you with in closing. Number one, what do you need to forget? What is it that's hindering you from moving forward right now? Past disappointments, past failures, past sins, past successes. We don't live in the past. There's a legacy of faithful men and women and, and, and families who have been a part of this church. There's been a great history. But you're not living in the past. You're looking toward the future. And if there is anything that is hindering you from looking toward the future, being in alignment with the will and purpose of Jesus Christ and serving him, then you need to confess that. And you need to ask forgiveness for that. And let God take it away from you and he will forgive you. It will be wiped out and then you've got to let it go and not carry around the past. Secondly, forgive past hurts, past, past sins of others, past grudges. All that has to be forgiven. And then live in the day with hope toward the future. Live in the day with a hope toward the future. God has great things. He will be faithful and is faithful. He's going to accomplish his will. But what would be very pleasing to God is if he could accomplish his will with you and through you. God has a purpose for you. And I love Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And Gregory mentioned this in his prayer. Therefore, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hmm. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, he didn't look forward to the pain and the suffering and the rejection on the cross. Jesus looked at what the outcome of that would be which would be the redemption of man through his sacrificial death and resurrection. There's a lot of suffering that goes on, but there can be a great purpose, a great end result that comes from it if we're ready to walk with Jesus, be encouraged, and allow him to work through us. You see, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. We're all sinners, separated from God, we can't do anything about that. We can't work our way into his graces. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of his glory. But that the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. So we acknowledge, agree with God that we're sinners. We repent, turn from our way of, of, of living and going, turn, change our heart to follow him. Believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for our sin through his resurrection. Maybe this morning, if you're here and you never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, you need to receive him today as Savior. Pray, confess sin, turn from it in your heart and ask him to forgive you. Surrender your life to him and you will become a new creation. You will become part of the body of Christ. You will become an heir of the kingdom of God, one of his children that he will love and care for. And you will have an eternal home 
waiting for you when you leave this earth. And believers, church members, listen. This is a great day. This, in one sense, is a new beginning, a new season. And where this season goes and how it ends up is going to really depend upon you. God has given you a good man to be your pastor, a good leader. But he can only lead those who will follow. And if you're in alignment with the will and the purpose of Christ, as Lamar has prayed and will be praying for direction in leading you, as your elders are praying and, and seeking how they can support and lead this church, uh, as your pastors are serving, as your church council and other spiritual leaders in this church are praying, as you all pray together for God's will to be done and to empower you to make an impact in this church and in this community. Listen, God will unify this body and he will accomplish great things. But if you're holding on to the past, if you're not in alignment with his will, if your passion is somewhere else, it's going to be a problem. And I believe God wants to do a great work in you and through you. And I look forward to what that's going to look like in the future. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for some principles that will help us I can really evaluate where we're at in our walk with you and in our relationship with you and in our service to you. And I pray, God, that you will work a great work in this church and that it will be transformed, not by the work of man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it can have the impact in the ministry and the outreach, not only in this community and in this state, but even around the world where Jesus Christ will be lifted up and glorified. I pray that maybe someone has received Christ this morning and prayed, asked him, and that, Father, they would follow up, uh, maybe by contacting the church if they're online or seeking out one of the members here this morning before they leave. God, you're the God of great grace and faithfulness. And I thank you for what you're doing here, how you're affirming that, and what you're going to do in the future for your honor and your glory alone. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.